Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. In an ideal world, we'd eat whole foods and obtain all the macro and micronutrients that we need to optimize for our health. But in this day and age, I don't think it's possible. Micronutrient deficiencies are a growing public health concern. In 2019, Cambridge University published a paper concerning micronutrient deficiencies. We've known for a long time that iron, iodine, and vitamin A deficiencies have long-term been a long-term global concern. And now they're reporting that vitamin D, B12, and riboflavin are added to that list. Micronutrient deficiencies lead to poor health outcomes and increased healthcare costs. Today, I have a very special guest who's going to help us understand the importance of micronutrients, how we can find out if we have deficiencies, and we all do, and then what do we do to fix them. Dr. Ron Grabowski is a practicing doctor of chiropractic in Houston, Texas. He has over 40 years of clinical nutrition experience, presented over 1,500 seminars and lectures on nutrition throughout the U.S. and in Europe, publishing several articles and a textbook on clinical nutrition. He received his Bachelor of Science degree in nutrition from North Dakota State University and went on to be awarded his Doctor of Chiropractic in 89 and then became a professor. In addition, he's a registered dietitian and his dietetic experience includes tenure at some of the leading hospitals in the nation, the New York Hospital, Memorial Sloan Kettering and New York City Memorial Care System and the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Dr. Grabowski has served on the state of Texas Governor's Childhood Obesity Task Force and is a member of the Academia, the Academy, I'm sorry, of Nutrition and Dietetics, the American Chiropractic Association, the Texas Chiropractic Association, and the Endocrine Society. And in addition to his chiropractic practice, he's developed numerous vitamin and mineral formulas for supplement companies. Professional athletes, including Olympians, seek his expertise in nutrition consultation. His research interests include nutritional support of the athlete and the use of supplements in clinical practice for the prevention and management of chronic diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune, musculoskeletal conditions, fibromyalgia, and gastrointestinal disorders. Welcome, Dr. Grabowski. That is a massive resume of, of information there of expertise. Glad to be here today. Yeah, I am very excited for this uh, podcast episode because as you know, so many people are taking supplements wrong. And um, before we dive in, I do wanna do a really quick medical disclaimer. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to all of my guests on my podcast. So Dr. Grabowski, what are micronutrients anyway and why are they so important to our overall health and wellness? Well, the micronutrients, of course, are the vitamins and minerals that we see on various supplements like your multivitamin mineral supplements. And those are what we call, of course, the micronutrients where the carbohydrates, the proteins, and the fat are our macronutrients. 
And we need micronutrients actually to break down or to metabolize our protein, fats, and carbs. So when people are changing diets today, whether it's a vegan diet or it's a gluten-free diet or say a Mediterranean diet, those major diets are talking about those macronutrients. And it's the micronutrients that actually allow you to utilize those products. And if you are missing one or more of those nutrients, you don't really use those macronutrients like you want to. Okay, that's really interesting. But what was it about micronutrients and deficiencies in people that was so fascinating to you that's led you down such an esteemed path to study all of this? Well, when I worked in the hospital as a dietitian, um, I saw all these patients that were very sick with various conditions, everything from heart disease to kidney disease to diabetes. And we were changing their diet, but they really weren't getting better or they were just stabilizing and they weren't decreasing their medications or they weren't really getting improved laboratory results. So we started, of course, looking at some of the lab tests that are commonly used in the hospitals or in other institutions like Quest Lab or LabCorp, and they were all normal. And it frustrated me as a dietitian that here these people are sick. I knew they were sick and we were doing standard testing and it really wasn't telling me what I needed to know. So that's when I came in contact with some other testing techniques and I found that micronutrients were deficient. We started treating these patients based on these laboratory diagnostics that are not conventional per se in the hospital setting. And my patients starting to really improve whether they were diabetic or like I said, heart disease or kidney failure, whatever. So that's what really interests me. Then I started to continue to match this information up with scientific literature, and it started to correlate very well. And that's what really got me more interested in diving into some of these diagnostics. So it sounds to me like this is sort of one of the beginning stages of personalized medicine. Would you agree with that? No, exactly. Yeah. In fact, uh, every day, you know, I tell um, my patients and clinicians that when I talk to them, it's looking at the individual's biochemistry makeup. And we all have different biochemistries. And you know, you could look at 20 diabetics and none of them have the same biochemistry makeup. So why should we treat them the same? But it seems like the medical community pretty much does that. Either you get a certain oral medication or you get insulin. And yes, you change those dosages a little bit, but they don't really look further into other treatments in, that complement that. In fact, there's an article that I just read this morning regarding a common medication used by diabetics called metformin and how it significantly changes the micronutrient status in the body, which causes a lot of the side effects of, of diabetes or, or uh, problems that we see with diabetics, whether it's blindness, whether it's neuropathies, whether it's fatigue and things like that. So it's the micronutrient field, I think, even though it's been around for years, I really think it's still in its infancy and we're gonna find more and more things about it in the near future. So a couple of things I wanna go back to, when you were talking about how you implemented these micronutrient tests for some of your patients in a conventional medical setting, how did that conventional medical setting um, receive this information that you were trying to bring in and implement for these patients? That at well, the end of the day helped. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, of course, there's always resistance, or if people are not knowledgeable in a particular topic, they usually will 
not recognize it or more or less confirm what you're doing with the, the patients, especially mutual patients. But when they start to see some other conventional tests improve, whether it's thyroid tests or HbA1c with the diabetic and things like that, it's pretty hard to argue with that. And in fact, because of that, a lot of my patients, their doctors are now patients of mine, that they have seen that this situation protects their patients a lot. And now they, yeah. in fact, last week I saw, you know, several medical doctors as patients and uh, they're improving drastically with our therapy and, and based on objective data. That's really cool. I love that the doctors are becoming your patients and putting themselves through the same protocol so that they can have that experience as well as their clients or their patients. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And like I yeah. said, it's pretty hard to argue with numbers right. and see them improving on laboratory diagnostics. Right. That's great. Um, so, and back to genetics. So we're all born with these genetics, right? But then there's the epigenetics, right? Our lifestyle factors that then can turn on or turn off certain um, genes. So what do you think is happening that is creating so much of a micronutrient deficiency and different along the spectrum for so many people? What's, what's going on that, that this is becoming an epidemic? Well, I think it's definitely our food sources that you know, are not what we thought they, what they are now, what we thought they were several years ago. And so a lot of times people look at the RDAs and they look at that, but, you know, once again, those RDA levels were really generated back in the 1989 and earlier. And today we are still using those, inf that information on labels and that. So people think that, oh, those things still are contained in our foods. And the other thing I think it's a huge factor, and there's numerous people that have looked at this, is stress. There's a lot of stress on people today. And we, you know, a lot of us have gone through that stress with this whole COVID thing in 2020. In fact, they talk about it today, psychiatrists and psychologists talk about our children that, you know, have stayed in home and haven't been able to go to school and the psychological stress that that's imposed on them. You know, people that have lost their jobs or their jobs have been changed because of you know, things like COVID. So all of those things occur. And then of course, medications also affected as well. And um, there are a lot of people that have written, um, you know, articles have done research on stress and telomeres and how that affects yep. our chromosomes and our genes and things like that. And yet there's, a, and I have a lot of interest on that. And I've recently done a um, webinar on this on how certain nutrients can help slow down that uh, telomere from shortening. And so once again, the, the genetics are very important, but I think the other thing that people have to realize is a lot of our major diseases today, only about 15% of it is genetic. That most of the disease that we're finding today have to do with inflammation. That if we yeah. can stop the inflammation or we can limit the inflammation in our body, that we will decrease a lot of our diseases. And that, once again, is done through dietary means, through micronutrient changes that really have been addressed. And that's something that we have to look at. I mean, if you look at the top five major diseases today, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, once again, osteoporosis, those are conditions that are all modifiable and all of them have a inflammatory component to them. Absolutely. And um, food manufacturers have long been putting, have been fortifying our processed food with vitamins and, and minerals and 
basically supplements. And so if someone is living a lifestyle that is sedentary and eating processed foods, stressed out, um, and all those things, smoking or drinking too much alcohol, is eating these foods that food manufacturers are fortifying going to help a little bit with micronutrient deficiencies? Well, you may they may help a little bit, but as far as satisfying, just because a food says that it has 100% of the vitamin C RDA doesn't mean that's going to be adequate for everybody out there. In fact, it's very rarely is it adequate. I'll be honest with you, I've never had one patient in my office come in and the testing that we do have a normal test on just a healthy diet. And I have people that eat very healthy, but have not been able to satisfy the micronutrient needs. Uh, and one, it may be also because of exercise, maybe the stress, but the point is we have to get over that thought process that just because we meet the RDA 100% for all those micronutrients that that's adequate because it really isn't. And like I said, I have a lot of data to back that up. And once again, my patients realize that. And of course, I always encourage a healthy diet and everything I do with my patients, but I also let them realize that it's not going to satisfy every need of their micronutrients out there. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, as a functional medicine and integrative health coach, I coach all types of people of all different ages who come to me with all different health goals. And I'm also a carnivore health coach. And it's the carnivores that come to me that are most confused why just eating a nutrient-dense diet alone will not probably be the only part of their equation to reach their health goals. And I, that's one of the first things I say to my carnivore clients. Yes, setting the foundation of a nutrient-dense whole food diet is absolutely essential. It's going to support everything else you do from moving forward, but it's not the only component of an equation. And you might need exogenous support in the form of supplements based on your unique labs or micronutrient testing, which we're going to talk about. Absolutely. You know, and like I mentioned earlier, everybody has a different biochemistry, whether it's affected by their genetics, whether it's affected by their lifestyle, whether it's the way they handle stress or, you know, other things in their life. And so absolutely, we have to have that good foundation, but we also have to realize that we have to support that with things that we may need in higher demand. And one of the things, and we'll maybe get into this a little later here, but the stress, whether it's physical activity stress or whether it's psychological stress, they play a major part with a couple nutrients that I'll talk about here that come up all the time. And it makes a lot of sense uh, why they do become deficient, but where we really can't meet them in our dietary intake. And yet you go out and look at some of these textbooks out there that they will say, oh, there's no reason that you will ever be deficient in this nutrient or that nutrient because we fortify our food. And that's not true. Like I said, I have a lot of objective data to show that. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a few minutes. Yep, that's really interesting. So how do you even know you have a micronutrient deficiency to start with? You go to the doctor. You have a health history um, done, you've got labs done. And as you were saying in the beginning, 
conventional medicine really doesn't think out of the box to even suggest taking a micronutrient um, deficiency test to see where you're at. So how do you how do you know? Right. So there is a lab test that I use. It's called the micronutrient test, and it's from SpectraCell Laboratories. And this technology was actually developed at University of Texas in Austin by a doctor by the name of Dr. Shive. And Dr. Shive, you know, said that why are we looking outside the cell when all our biochemistry occurs inside the cell? In your standard testing that you have done, once again, at the hospital, your doctor, um, or say Quest Lab or LabCorp, they are looking at what we call serum testing or plasma testing, which is looking outside the cell. So a lot of times when people go and have those tests, and of course, the, you know, for say B12, it's, oh, no, your B12 is good. They looked at your serum, but yet they will come to me and I will do this testing through SpectraCell Laboratory and we're looking inside the cell and we find it significantly deficient. So the point is this test actually looks back six to nine months of a person's health, where when you go and have the standard test like serum testing, you're actually looking at the past 24 to maybe 72 hours. And so if you took say a B12 supplement yesterday and you went to your doctor today, you may find that that serum B12 is normal, but if you did this micronutrient test, which looks back six to nine months, it may be abnormal. And so that's, um, once again, something that we look at very closely. I might just want to so, use it. Yeah, you just went a little dark, but we can still see you. Okay. So what would, what would some symptoms be that a person might be experiencing that would suggest there's a micronutrient deficiency if they have all other covered the grounds of like cleaning up their nutrition, um, working out more, uh, getting those fresh air walks in, trying to manage their sleep and their stress better. What if there were still some, which most people have more, you know, their lingering issues, but right. what would some of those look like that you might say to yourself, okay, now I need to go a step further. Well, for example, you know, I see a lot of people that come to me just for fatigue. They say, you know, I just don't feel like I have the energy that I should have at my age or, or for what I do, you know, I do exercise, I do eat a healthy diet, but I just don't feel like I have the energy. I feel like I need, you know, 10 to 12 hours sleep and I shouldn't need that much if I'm eating healthy and exercising. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things. The other thing you could be, you know, anxiety and depression, uh, bowel problems. We see a lot of bowel problems with just like a irritable bowel syndrome type of situation. And we see that a lot in people that are very active. In fact, uh, on the average, about 50 to 55% of athletes or people that exercise regularly have bowel problems. And so we know that that's an issue. Um, and once again, one of the most common nutrients I find deficient is B5, panathenic acids. It's actually nicknamed the anti-stress vitamin. And so if you have physical stress uh, or psychological stress, more than likely you're gonna be low in this. And though that particular deficiency can cause simple things like dry skin, it can cause irritable bowel syndrome, it can cause maybe a little bit more irritability and anxiety. If you go further into it, it can cause the serious things as neuropathy, where people are having, you know, tingling, burning, numbness in their hands or their feet. Uh, and yet they think that it may be something else that's going on, some major disease, and it may just be a deficiency that's really causing that. Um, those are the things that I think that people overlook sometimes, or they say, well, everybody, 
and, and I have patients say this, well, Dr. Muskie, everybody has stress. And you're right, everybody does have stress in their life, but how you handle stress is highly dependent on your nutritional status. And I can, you know, I could talk, have you talk to numerous of my patients that say that, that once we balance out their nutrition, they handle those stressful situations better. Their workouts in the gym are better. It's not just, oh, let's just go on with life. I mean, infertility, I see a lot of couples for infertility. And one of the things I find that's very interesting from this, these couples is they say, oh yeah, we were at the OBGYN. We've been trying to have a family. We can't have a family. And so my OBGYN says, well, just go home, relax, decrease your stress and you'll get pregnant. Well, that sounds good, but how does that correct your nutritional status? It doesn't do anything. Right. For your nutritional status. And yet, you know, those nutrients that I mentioned, the B5, the B12 are very commonly deficient in infertility couples. And we've had very good success with getting those couples to have children. You know, one of the other um, symptoms that I think is like an epidemic right now is people, women especially experiencing hair shedding, thinning and hair loss, not only going through perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause um, can ignite that, but also the stress of COVID um, and just the stress of everyday balancing work and life and kids and all the, all the things. And when I first met you, um, I had taken the SpectraCell micronutrient test. I've done it twice. And I met you on the second time. And we talked about B5 and its relationship to possible um, hair growth. And I can say that, you know, here I came to a micronutrient test as a very healthy middle-aged woman. I eat a very nutrient-dense diet. I do all the weight training and I do some cardio. I get the fresh air. I get my sleep. I get all the things, all the boxes are checked off for me. And yet still I had persistent um, for four years of hair shedding, chronic hair shedding. And now that I'm on the protocol for the second time around from my, based on my results with the micronutrient test, I can say that I have completely halted all of my hair shedding and thinning, and I see massive hair growth coming back. And B5 was one of my um, borderline deficiencies, which we're going to talk, we're going to break that test down a little bit. But um, so I, I have to say to all the people listening, it, it is, it works, you know, personalizing your nutrition, personalizing finding out that data, personalizing the supplementation or whatever it is that you're doing, your protocols. Um, it really, when you, you take a deep breath, you follow the protocol and you let it all work and you stay on the path and it works. It turns things around. Absolutely. You know, there's a saying that I use a lot of my lectures to clinicians. Uh, I say, if your car needs gas, don't give it oil. And what I'm saying by that is, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, hair shedding is a good example where if you look at a lot of products out there today, especially your shampoos or your lotions, they always have biotin in them. So everybody goes, oh, I need yeah. to take biotin to help my hair go back. Well, that's fine if you're low in biotin, but if you're low in B5 or panathenate like you are, that also is associated with hair loss. So if I give biotin to everybody, but they really don't need biotin, you're not going to correct the hair loss. And then what happens is 
I hear patients say this when they first meet me, they say, well, I've kind of tried that nutrition stuff, but it didn't work. I said, well, did anybody do lab tests on you? Or did they just say, oh, we think you're low in this, you think? And they go, oh yeah, it's mainly been off of questionnaire stuff. Well, questionnaires are good to some degree, but once again, it's not like taking blood and analyzing blood. So that's a great example of what you just said, Jill, is that you are low in a nutrient that's highly associated with hair loss and you're a very busy woman, you know, you have a practice and other things that you're doing. And that's stress, even though you enjoy what you do, it's stress because it's a right. busy schedule and things like that. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because I'll ask people, I always, I, every single patient I talk to the first time I say, what's your stress level? And it's interesting to hear what they say. Well, if 10 is really stressed and zero is no stress, it's interesting to say, well, I think I'm a three or four, but, but then when I break it down, their stress level is a nine or a 10. And so they don't realize how stressed they are because they try to compare themselves to other people rather than what's normal for the human body. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. People taking supplements that maybe they don't need, you know, and I, um, I can't tell you how many times I have clients come to me and they give me their supplement list. And then I ask them, well, tell me about, why you're taking this supplement and this supplement was this based on lab work is this based on did you have a micronutrient test oh no you know my friend at the gym you know it works for her so i kind of have the same issue so i'm thinking i better take it too and or maybe i heard a podcast or watched a youtube video and they said you know these three supplements are great for um growing more hair if we're going to use that example and i i can't tell you how many times that um, at the end of the day, I might have them take the micronutrient test and that's not one of their deficiencies. So can taking supplements that we don't need like biotin be harmful if it's not one of our deficiencies? Absolutely. There's what we call nutrient-nutrient interactions. You can take a certain amount of a nutrient. And if there's one thing that you, all you listeners get out of today is Vitamins and minerals in large dosages or incorrect dosages can cause imbalances and can cause problems. Don't just listen to the thing where people say, well, that's water soluble. If you don't use it, you lose it. And that's, you know, you just get rid of it. That's not true. Okay. That is an old saying. It's been shown not to be true. For example, if you take too much zinc, you can actually cause a folic acid deficiency or vice versa. If you take too much calcium, you can cause a magnesium deficiency. There's, there's ratios and things that we look at to keep the body in balance. So just because you're taking one nutrient, um, it doesn't mean it's not gonna affect another nutrient. And actually panathenate is one uh, very common one that we see that's deficient and it can cause problems with CoQ10. You know, CoQ10 is a big topic today with cardiovascular disease and people taking medications to lower cholesterol. Well, if you take too much CoQ10, in some individuals, it can actually cause a B5 deficiency or panathenic acid deficiency. So yes, knowing what you need to take and taking the right things specifically for your body is very important. And the other thing I wanna emphasize, and I wanna say this real quick, cause I know we're limited to time. There are times where people come to me and are taking, I mean, they have bags. I mean, and just like you, Jill, they have like two or three bags of supplements. And I go, what are you doing? And like the same thing. Now I went to a health food store and they told me this and that and so on. By the time I get done with them, they might be spending initially when they first come to me, seven, eight, $900 a month on supplements. When I get done with them, yeah. they spend a hundred dollars a month. I save them four or $500 a month because now they're taking the correct supplements. They're not taking more than that they actually need. 
So testing can be very economical for you in the long run as far as saving you money. It really gets you to what you need. Oh, absolutely. Well, I want to talk about micronutrient deficiencies that are divided up into the two categories. They are, there are the functional deficiencies and then the borderline deficiencies. And I want to um, have you break down what those, what that means. And if you should take as much care of the borderline deficiencies as you do the functional deficiencies. Okay, well, that's a good point. So functional deficiencies on the spectra cell testing or micronutrient testing means that your cells are extremely low in that particular nutrient or nutrients. And they usually have a significant impact on the signs and symptoms that you're experiencing. However, there are borderline deficiencies, which mean they're not as low, um, but once again, cumulatively or complementary to the functional deficiencies, they can make just a big impact. So how I explain this to my patients is if you have a functional deficiency, it's like your eight-cylinder car is running on two cylinders. If you have borderline deficiencies, your eight-cylinder car is running on four cylinders. So it's running better, but it's still not eight cylinders. So you want to make sure your cars run on all eight cylinders. So it's just like I kind of um, when I still hear clinicians say this to patients that they say, "Well, you're borderline anemic." Well, what does that mean? I mean. That's like being borderline pregnant. Either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. Either you're anemic or you're not anemic. So when people have borderline deficiencies, they can present with a low white blood cell or red blood cell count, but yet it's not due to an iron deficiency, which a lot of people push off on patients. In fact, one of the doctors that I've seen, he's actually an anesthesiologist that came to me a few months ago. He's been suffering with anemia for years and they've checked his iron, they checked his B12, his serum B12, his serum folate. It was all normal. And he says, well, what's this? And so his doctor said to him, well, you might just be one of those individuals that is anemic and that's just normal for you. No, that's not normal for you. You just didn't find the answer yet. And so don't push that off as that might be just something he should be. So we did the micronutrient test. He had three deficiencies. He had zinc, he had copper, and he had B6 deficiency that all cause anemia. We've corrected those and he's no longer anemic. He's been anemic or been told he's been anemic for over 10 years. So he's suffered with anemia. And once again, going back to that saying, if your car needs gas, don't give it oil. They were looking at three nutrients that were normal on him through serum testing, but they weren't looking at the others that really were causing the anemia. And we only found that out through that spectral cell testing. Well, I'm pretty sure he doesn't go back to that doctor anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's so, that, that's so frustrating, right? Because especially middle-aged women going through their chain, the hormonal changes, we are told that it is just normal and acceptable to feel like crap. And fine, okay, our OBGYN or our primary care physician can help us if we choose to go on bioidentical hormones or hormone replacement therapy, that, that's in another conversation. But I think it's is as important to look at these micronutrient deficiencies to support whatever changes we're going through, instead of accepting that we're going to gain weight around the midsection, that we're going to feel tired, that we're going to you know, lose our 
cognition, uh, we're going to decline our brain health and our heart health. You know, none of this is acceptable to me. I'm 54 and I don't see any reason why I can't feel like it's, I'm at the top of my game as, as well as all the other women out there going through the change. But this is what we are told in conventional medicine and, we, and, and, and it stops there. And then so many people are so um, hesitant to hop the fence to look at integrative, regenerative or functional medicine alternatives because there's, there's a there's a, a fear factor involved, right? When we're not educated about something or not exposed to it enough, there's a fear factor. Well, what if I jump the fence? What's that going to look like? And is this voodoo medicine? Right. Well, the thing is really, there is so much research out there to support the functional medicine field. I mean, it's been back 30, 40 years. It just hasn't been brought to the surface. And now it's being brought to the surface and more and more people are hearing about it. You know, Time Magazine had a, a special edition, I think it was 2020 or 2019, that said, about that, that said that the healthcare in the future is gonna be the functional medicine. It's gonna be the acupuncture. It's gonna be the nutritional supplementation or the, the herbal, you know, herbal therapy. It's gonna be the massaging. It's gonna be, that's where healthcare is going. You know, that's why people like you that are health coaches are so instrumental in where this, the health is going today, because like I said, you know, most of our major diseases today are preventable. We can slow the process down if we do something preventative. And, you know, you go way back into um, history, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is with a pound of cure. And why did they say that back then? I mean, they knew something was true about that statement and it's still true and and people are recognizing it. you know none of us like the whole covid thing but if i can say one thing about covid that i believe that there's always a silver lining on every cloud that it's really brought forward how important health is to take over or to get over things like covid or to handle covid i mean if you look at the people that really do poorly with covid it's the obesity the people that don't exercise the people that have comorbidities like diabetes and you know heart disease and things like that. The people that are so-called healthy or they don't have those major diseases or they aren't overweight and things like that, they go through COVID with very minimal problems. And so that's where people say, well, I'm a diabetic. I better get my weight down. I better do this. I better exercise more. Yes, you absolutely better. And what's interesting, that's functional medicine. We're just saying here, go back to really the ground right. root of what healthcare is, and that's what it should be. Absolutely. You were talking about how B5 and B12 deficiencies are among the most common. Why is that? So B12, I think the major reason why that is deficient is once again, it's affected by stress. Uh, stress lowers it, exercise affects it as well as psychological stress. Um, our bodies turn over our certain cells at a very rapid rate. Um, when we are under psychological stress or physical stress, we, our cells in our intestinal tract turn over actually faster. There's a lot of research to show that. And that's one of the reasons why I think B12 is there. Sometimes I think the other thing is medications that people may be on or things that they may be consuming too much alcohol or too much caffeine and things like that. The B5 is very easily explained through stress. Um, when we are under stress, but once again, uh, whether it's physical or psychological, our cortisol levels go up. 
And that's a defense mechanism for us. Well, cortisol is produced by B5. B5 is needed to make cortisol. So the more that we're under those types of stress, the more we're demanding cortisol, the more we're demanding B5. And then of course, B5 has a lot of factors in our body as far as the cell integrity, you know, like you said, the hair integrity, the nails, the GI tract, and people start to experience those problems. I mean, if you think of your, and I'm talking to listeners now, if you think about um, people that have GI problems, when's the most common time they have those problems? When they're under stress. Oh yeah, my IBS gets worse yeah. when I'm under stress or my constipation gets worse under stress or my headaches. For example, migraines, panathenic acid, B5, is one of the top three or four on the micronutrient test, not in the necessarily the scientific literature, but what I've seen over 30 years almost of using this test that is associated with migraines. And when people say, yeah, my migraines are always worse when I'm under stress. Well, yes, because you're lowering your B5, you're lowering your B12, you're lowering magnesium. Some of those deficiencies occur when we go through those factors. And once again, too many times people just take an aspirin or NSAID, or they take some prescription medication to get over the migraines, but they keep having those migraines, you know, two or three times a week or three or four times a month or whatever. And I always tell my patients, you should not have headaches more than once a year if that. And they look at me very strange. And by the time I get done working with them, they go from two or three migraines a week to maybe one a year. And they just look at me and say, well, that's interesting. I was taking medications all these years and now I don't have you know, these migraines anymore with just supplementation or dietary changes. And that's what it is. We're just doing functional medicine. So let's talk about magnesium for a second here. There are multiple forms of magnesium. And a lot of times my clients come to me and they're, maybe they're taking one form, but it might not be the right form for what they need. And so can you speak to magnesium and, and why it is so important to, to really work with someone and make sure you're taking the right form of that? Absolutely. Um, one thing everybody has to understand, because I formulated products for companies, when companies come to me and they ask me to make a formulation for them, I ask them two simple questions, profit margin or quality. And most of the companies that are over the counter are about profit margin. And so when that occurs, or when that's what their main focuses, you use the cheaper forms, or what I call the cheaper forms, or the less absorbable forms. In the technical term, we call it bioavailability, is how well do you take up that nutrient into your bloodstream? And for example, when you look at your minerals like magnesium, your gluconates, your oxides, your carbonates are very poorly absorbed, where the better forms like your glycinate and your malate are your better forms. And the reason why, and I'm using glycinate for an example, magnesium glycinate is a very bioavailable form, but when you take your minerals in with certain fruits, vegetables, or even grains, there's, food, there's products in those foods that actually inhibit absorption. And there's two things that we primarily look at. One's called oxalates and the other's called phytates. Oxalates are primarily in, in your fruits and vegetables and phytates are primarily in your grains. And if you take, say, a, a less quality product, like, say, magnesium oxide, magnesium oxide has a tendency to bind to those phytates or oxalates so you don't absorb them. So even though you think you're getting the benefit of that magnesium, you're not. On the other hand, with glycinate, that doesn't occur with those products. So you can take glycinate with phytates and oxalates and you don't get that inhibition. 
Well, yes, are glycinates a little bit more expensive? Yeah, yes, they are a little bit more expensive, but from a bioavailability standpoint, you get a better absorption. So in the long run, they're actually cheaper. So the point is you wanna correct your problem. If you're magnesium deficient, you once again wanna use a magnesium glycinate form versus say the oxide form. If you go and look at the major, how should I say, retail stores <laughs> that are your discount stores, you will see your oxides, your gluconates, your citrates. Citrates kind of middle of the road um, rather than your glycinates because they're looking at profit margin. They're not looking at you for health improvement. They're looking at profit margin. And that's what you have to think about. Why? And I was to say this to patients, why pop a pill if it's not going to help you? Why take a poor quality product? And that's one thing that really interested me and to this day really um, supports the usage of the micronutrient test is when people come in, I've had numerous people come in with very poor quality supplements and they do the test and they have 10, 15, 20 deficiencies. And they go, how can that be? I've been taking supplements for 20 years. And, and I go, because you've been wasting your money because you've taken the poor quality form and it hasn't really got into your system to benefit you. And, you know, it's very disheartening to them because they've spent a lot of money on poor quality forms thinking they did the right thing for their health and they really haven't. Yeah, that's a really good point. I also think it's um, important to mention that when people do order supplements online from third party suppliers, they really need to be careful. It's always best to go to the actual source online who's manufacturing that product uh, for safety reasons. So that's a little tip right there. I know that you work with a lot of athletes and magnesium is such a great mineral for athletes in terms of muscle relaxation and recovery. But let's just say they took a micronutrient test and magnesium was not even one of their borderline deficiencies. Is that still something that would be beneficial to that person? Or not even just an athlete, but someone like myself who works out all the, like I work out every single day, five days a week lifting weights. Yes, magnesium is so beneficial for other things just besides muscle and bone, as you know. I mean, magnesium is associated with insulin. So it's a product that has been shown that if it does become deficient, it can cause diabetes, it can cause type two diabetes. Magnesium is excellent for the heart. I mean, we know that it's very important. There's been some uh, information on magnesium and you know, heart disease, whether it's cholesterol control or triglyceride control, there's even some research on magnesium and atrial fibrillation, which is, seems to be a very common thing these days. Um, and people don't even look at magnesium as a benefit unless the cardiologist has really been, you know, up on their literature in that. But the point is that, yes, I mean, those are the things we need on a daily basis and it has so many functions, over 300 functions in the body. So yes, I would say stay on it because you never know when that magnesium is needed. You know, it might not be needed that day, but it may be needed two or three days later down that week. And so it's something that's very beneficial to us. It's one, I tell my patients this all the time, if there's only one nutrient that I could carry in my office, it would probably be magnesium. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what other supplements out there are things that people could be taking without getting a micronutrient test, like vitamin D. We all talk about vitamin D, especially for people living in areas where the sun isn't out as much. Yeah, vitamin D definitely um, a good, you know, a good quality multivitamin is something that I tell everybody should be on. I mean, there's literature that's been back in the 70s and 80s where 
And one piece of literature I remember came out of Harvard said that not some, but every adult should be on at least a good multivitamin and mineral. And that was back, you know, several years ago that they said that. And, and of course, that's a good starting point to have a good multivitamin mineral. Magnesium, fish oil is, you know, very important for us today. It's been associated with several diseases, you know, um, everything from Alzheimer's to depression, to anxiety, to heart disease. It's something that people definitely uh, should be looking at. Like you said, vitamin D, uh, magnesium is also very important. So then I want to kind of circle back to the RDA, right? What's the recommended dosage and versus what are therapeutic doses, dosages? So here we are talking about things that might be safe for everyone to take just based on lifestyle and um, where you might be living. Uh, and the RDA might be saying to take X amount, but maybe that's not a therapeutic dose. So how do people know how much to take? If we already know that the RDA is probably low and not an optimal dose, where can people go to figure out, do we need to have people work with a, a licensed um, medical doctor to figure this out or how can they do it on their own? Well, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, people need to be under the care of people that are knowledgeable in the field of nutrition. Um, you know, I have a lot of medical doctor friends and they're great doctors, they're great medical doctors, but they tell me all the time, Ron, we get no nutritional background in medical school. Or if we do, it's maybe one class or maybe two classes or something like that. But yet the media often says, oh, if you have a question about your vitamins and minerals, go ask your doctor, no. I know nothing about taxes. I mean, I file my taxes every year, but I don't really know anything. Don't come to me. I'm not a CPA, okay? That's not my expertise. I know nothing about cars, I can tell you that. And so I'm not good. Don't come and ask me about cars. So you need to go to people that are experts in that field that have studies in that field particularly. And that's one of the things that people have to understand because it's not just a matter of taking supplements and say, oh, this won't hurt me because it's like I told you earlier, water soluble, it's gonna just be wasted out you know, through our urine or something like that. That's not true, okay? D get that out right now because that's not a fact. Fact is you can cause some harm with certain vitamins and minerals or every one of them. There's information on websites, I mean, on government websites that talk about the RDA, the tolerable level, the acceptable level and things like that. So that, but there's a lot more to it than just reading it off the website. And that's why it's very important to go to a professional that studies this field. Yep, I'm glad you said that. Uh, we started talking about how certain groups of foods can interfere with the absorption of vitamins and minerals. But now I want to turn to pharmaceuticals because many of us are on pharmaceuticals, right? Like for myself, I have, I have to take thyroid meds because I only have half a thyroid for the last 30 years. So that's not going away ever for me. There are people who are on birth control for multiple reasons, or, you know, even the statins and you mentioned metformin. So everyone is on PPIs. How how do we know how to take our supplements in conjunction with pharmaceuticals if we are on pharmaceuticals? That's a great point. And it's probably one of the biggest problems that I confront every day I see a new patient. I have several patients, like you said, Jill, that are on pharmaceuticals. They need to be on those pharmaceuticals the rest of their life. And they also take vitamins and minerals. And I say, when are you taking these or how are you taking these? Oh, I take them all in the morning together. And I go, no, you can't do that. Well, no one ever told me that. 
Well, there's a rule that I go by in my office. It's called the two hour rule that you never take a medicine within two hours yeah. of a supplement. And all my patients know that. I mean, I put that on the bottles to, to confirm that with them, especially thyroid. Thyroid has a very high affinity for uh, minerals. When you talk about like calcium, magnesium, zinc, all of those particular minerals can lock up your thyroid medication. So the thyroid medication isn't working properly. And then when you go back to your general practitioner or endocrinologist say, oh, your thyroid readings aren't good. So I need to increase my medication dosage on you. Well, no, it's because you've been taking maybe your calcium magnesium with your thyroid medication. And if you separate them, you're not going to get yourself into trouble like that. You know, I just read an, our great article today. It just came out this month, or no, sorry, February of 2022 uh, on B12 and the interference with, like you said, Jill, the PPIs, the metformin, that, and how B12 is highly looked at and connected now to Alzheimer's and how we're looking at that particular nutrient. And when people are taking those medications, if they don't know that, then once again, they become B12 deficient, they get dementia, maybe they get full-blown Alzheimer's, and it could have been easily prevented. And if they would have known that, that one that medication could cause those deficiencies or you never take it. The other thing is testing. And since you mentioned thyroid, biotin actually, if taken 24 to 48 hours prior to thyroid testing can throw off your thyroid test. And so all my thyroid patients, I tell them 72 hours before you take your thyroid testing, you need to get off of your biotin supplementation, whether it's a B complex, a multivitamin, or just separate biotin itself. And things like that are very important. And that's where people get their testing or their dosages fluctuating. And really it's because it's something they've done from a nutritional standpoint prior to or during their medication. So yeah, the yeah. nutrient medication interactions are huge. Hmm. Yep. What about, we talked a little bit about alcohol, but maybe um, take a little deeper dive into how alcohol affects the um, supplements efficacy. And then also, as you know, marijuana is huge, right? It's legal in many areas and people are taking CBD and CBN with THC because without the THC, it doesn't really cross the blood brain barrier to do what it's supposed to do. So how does all of that interact so with people, people who are living a very healthy lifestyle still use marijuana or drink alcohol occasionally, right? right? right. It's just part of, part of that um, sure. life. Sure. Well, alcohol itself is a diuretic. So anytime you take alcohol, you have a diuresis. And so anytime that occurs, you can increase your loss of nutrients, especially your water-soluble nutrients, your B vitamins and a lot of your minerals. So even though there's some benefits of alcohol, like they talk about the antioxidants that are in red wine and various things like that, yes, that's a benefit, but it also has a detriment as far as the diuretic effect. As far as the marijuana or anything like that, those can contain or cause free radical production in the body, which then the body needs more antioxidants to neutralize that. And so those are some things that we really look at today is, yes, even though you may have some benefit from that or that's part of your lifestyle, 
we have to do something to counterbalance those effects. And I have quite a few patients that they like their one or two glasses of wine five or six days a week. They don't want to change that no matter what. That's just their enjoyment and that's fine. And I tell them, that's fine if you're going to do that, but then I need to do some things nutritionally to make sure that wine isn't doing damage, even though it does have some benefits. Um, and once again, I figure that out through the micronutrient testing. Okay, good to know. So we talked a little bit about regenerative medicine in the beginning. And part of regenerative medicine is a new protocol called peptide therapy. It's really not that new, but definitely gaining more attention um, in our country. And what are your thoughts on stacking different therapeutic protocols to help someone reach a health goal and or reverse a chronic disease? So do you like the idea of combining supplement a supplement protocol with maybe peptide therapy as well? Well, anytime we're talking about say peptide therapy, or you're talking about some other therapy that in that case, like a macronutrient per se, you need the micronutrients to make that work, okay? Just like the collagen, everybody's on kind of a collagen um, role right now in regards to regenerative of their joints or, or maintenance of their joints or their skin and things like that. That sounds very appealing and it, there's benefits to it, but once again, you need those micronutrients to allow that to happen. And that's the thing, and that's what really got me so interested in this particular field is that it's kind of like saying, if you take the macronutrients or some other therapy and, and bake in a cake, and that's the baker, you need the ingredients to bake the cake. I don't care what kind of baker you have, you have to have the ingredients. And that's where it comes down to the more or less the baseline or getting to the root of the problem. And those are the things that are overlooked by a lot of people. You know, I, my first degree was being a dietitian, and of course, everything was pushed in the macronutrient field. When I was in through my education, you know, my professors used to say, if you get your vitamin, I mean, if you get your protein, your fats, and your uh, carbohydrates, you're going to get your vitamins and minerals. Well, you know, I was one of those students that they probably didn't like because I always said, why, 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 why does this still happen? And, and so on. And so I started investigating myself and I found that not to be true. I mean, it's yeah. the thing that our body is made up in certain ways based on handling certain things, whether it's stress or exercise, but diseases, I will give you a good example where I have several patients that exercise heavily marathoners, triathletes, CrossFit. And these people now have autoimmune diseases. They now have rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm talking at a young age. I have a young CrossFit person. She started exercising heavily at 16 years of age. And at 21 years of age, she developed rheumatoid arthritis. And people say, well, that's just happened to be genetic. It's not genetic. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that when we exercise heavily and you don't take care of yourself nutritionally, that you get a leaky gut syndrome or you start to demand more nutrients like vitamin D and vitamin D modulates the immune system. And so if you have a vitamin D deficiency, you can get an autoimmune disease. So the point is that these different therapies, if, if, well, let me say this. When I used to teach at the uh, chiropractic school, I, my first day of class, I used to tell my students in nutrition one, 
our body is made up of six things. It's made up of water, protein, fat, carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. That's it. There's nothing you can name in the body that's not made up of those six things or a combination of those things. So when something goes wrong, why don't we look at those six things? We often don't. We look at other things. And so it's the balance of that. It's the homeostasis or equilibrium. And, and those are the things getting back to the root of the problem. And so, like I said, the big emphasis in the past has been, you know, the macronutrients, the ketogenic diet or the paleo diet or whatever. And all of those have benefits, believe. But at the same time, they're all lacking something too. And so how do we determine if they're lacking or not from a micronutrient standpoint is once again, through testing. Yeah, it's so incredibly important. I actually, today happens to be International Women's Day. And one of my, my posts today was all about women's sexual health. And yes, there's definitely um, what I've talked about before is the hormonal changes can affect women's sexual health or sexual desire as well. And what I was saying in there was before you go and do all these other cool you know, biohacking protocols with, your, with a functional medicine doctor, start with the nutrition and start with your micronutrient deficiencies because when you balance that you might heal some of those symptoms you might reverse some of those symptoms that you're already experiencing without going a whole level up oh exactly you know i just had a 14 year girl in my office a few months ago and has severe i mean severe menstrual cramps and she just started her menses, you know, a year prior to that. And I mean, she's pops four to six ibuprofen, five to six days of her onset of menses. We corrected it. She has no menstrual cramps anymore just by balancing her nutrition. So think about that. One, we took a medication out of her body that could damage her liver, her stomach, or her kidneys. She no longer has to take it. She functions normally, and we just put her chemistry back into fine. And her mother, of course, brought her into my office. And now that she's in really good state, she says, well, why don't other clinicians or people do this? And I said, well, there are other clinicians and people doing this. It's just, you know, you don't hear of it much. But this is something that's a very common thing. And I will say this, and you all know this, most of you listeners are probably females. Females are the best patients. Males are for generally speaking, not as good a patient because of course, men, if they don't have chest pain and they can urinate, they think everything's fine. And I think women, because at a very young age, of course, when you start your menses, your mother takes you to the doctor and says, we're gonna do a woman wellness visit every year. And so from a very early state, you get that wellness into your mind where men usually don't until they get something seriously happening to them. And studies have shown that, and Jill, you know that, that females attend doctors much more often than men do, unless it's something serious. And so those things that you women suffer with, the PMS, the menstrual cramps, the, the menopausal signs, all of those can be affected by dietary and nutritional intervention uh, for the most part. And it's not necessarily that we go and into all this hormonal therapy necessarily. Yeah, so important to know. So we're coming to a close. I wish I could talk for like two more hours with you because you're so interesting and have such a level of expertise um, that we are missing in the medical community. But uh, so a couple questions left. 
And these are a little bit more fun. What are your three favorite supplements right now and why? So I, but forget magnesium because you already threw magnesium out there. Oh gosh, I would say probably um, vitamin D, CoQ10, those are two for sure. And probably either B complex or B12 or B5. Those are so commonly deficient. And I find those, uh, you know, I found those initially in me because of exercise and my lifestyle as well. And they come up all the time. So probably those three or four. Okay. And then what is something my listeners can do today to help them start their health journey outside of taking a micronutrient test? Because not everybody has access to it. Um, they're not covered by health insurance, so they can, you know, be a little bit pricey. So what's something people can do today at home to start that journey? One, if you're not exercising, get out and exercise. Two, get away from your refined carbohydrates. Um, that's another thing, of course. Um, really increase your fish um, intake. I think a lot of people don't do that enough. Um, vegetables and fruits are huge. Um, and try to find some way to de-stress, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's reading, whether it's exercise, stress has such a huge impact on us and really affects our nutrition. So that's one of the biggest things I would say. So we didn't really talk about people who are vegans and what their micronutrient deficiencies might look like. And I don't want to do a too deep of a dive on that because of time, but what would you say to people living a vegan lifestyle in terms of nutrients? Objectively, what I see on laboratory diagnostics, most common, of course, B12 is obvious, but we see a lot of calcium deficiency. Believe it or not, we see a lot of vitamin D deficiency and zinc. Zinc is very commonly deficient in our vegan population. Even though people talk about, oh no, I eat nuts and seeds and that has zinc in it. Or, you know, people say, well, I eat the greens and that's where it gets my calcium. But once again, remember those foods that have oxalates and phytates also lock up your minerals. So even though the content is there, it doesn't mean those minerals are bioavailable. That's right. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grabowski. It was such a pleasure to have you on Health Trip Podcast. I know that my listeners will gain so much information out of this and with lots of um, takeaways. And um, I'm going to list all of your contact information in the show notes, but you're opening up a new website soon called Ovation Nutrition. So www. I mean, yeah, ovationnutrition.com. Tell us a little bit about what uh, people will find there. Uh, what people will find on this website is, of course, new current information. A lot of it's going to be like news flashes, like, you know, if something came up about, say, Alzheimer's and B12 or medication that's causing interference. Those are some general information you'll get on that. Um, definitely articles, writing articles on the particular one, evaluation of supplementation, what supplements are good out there, um, which, you know, forms are good. Those are the kind of information you get. But it's really notifying the public of what's out there and what's legit from a scientific standpoint and diseases. You know, what things should you be asking your doctor? Simple questions like, if I go to my doctor and I'm diabetic, besides the A1C, what other tests maybe should I ask for or look for? And various things like that. 
Um, there is a part, but this is more for the clinician, the professional, that there's a the book that I wrote several years ago. It's now going to be electronic, but it's only going to be available for professionals. But for professionals, the, those of you that are listening, I think you'll find it very interesting. There's protocols, there's nutrient, nutrient, nutrient drug interactions, there's tons of references. So I'm looking forward to it for us launching it, uh, hopefully um, early part of April. Oh, I'm looking forward to that too. I will definitely be digging into that information. So thank you again so much for your time and all your wisdom. And I hope to see you soon. And I could think of about 10 more uh, topics to get you back on here to talk about with me. Well, thanks, Jill. I enjoyed the opportunity. And uh, once again, everybody stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.